Well, friends, listening family, we have some incredible theology today on Walk in Truth. We're going to look at Colossians 1, 15 through 19. It is some of the grandest theology in all the Bible. And it is about the identity of Jesus Christ, that he is God. Some groups out there twist these scriptures, but this section emphatically declares that Jesus Christ, our Savior, is God. Stay tuned to Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. We often get ourselves in trouble when we isolate verses. We always need to read verses in what? In their proper context. So if they keep reading, they'd be okay. But here's what they do. They insert the word other. So here's how their version reads. For by him, verse 16, all other things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all other things have been created by him and for him. Now what their, their, the people who did their translation called the New World Translation say is they put the word other in there to help explain the passage. Well, the word other is not in the original. Now, sometimes they say, but sometimes translators will put words in there to clarify meaning. They do it to clarify meaning, not to change meaning. Very important point. When you are taking Greek and Hebrew into a receptor language like English, and you see a sentence that needs to be clarified because there's not a great English word that directly translated, translates that, you might use a, a couple of different words to bring clarity, not to change the meaning. So what they did is they added the word other in there, and what it does is change the meaning, and, and they think that that gets them off the hook because then Jesus can somehow be created. Now go to Isaiah 44 for a second, Isaiah 44, and look at verse 24 with me. If you study the Old Testament, you'll find that Isaiah chapters 40 through 48 are an incredible section where God says, I am the only God, there is no other God before me or after me, I am it. There was no God formed before me, nor shall there be one after me. Let's just take a a peek at this emphatic statement. Uh, 44.6. Isaiah, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is what? No God besides me. Now what happens is in some of these circles where people embrace this, what we call this Arian heresy, they say that Jesus is a a God, and in the Jehovah's Witness translation of John 1.1, they call him a God. Okay, well, so they're, they're saying that Jesus is some sort of lesser God. He's not almighty God, but he's still, he's still a pretty great one. He's like a, maybe a mighty God, but not almighty God. But there's only really one category of true deity. Isaiah 44, 6 says, I am the first and I am the last, and there is what? There is no God besides me. Just look back at Isaiah 43, 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. My servant whom I have chosen in order that you may know and believe me, 4310, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed and there will be what? None after me. 
the true God did not make a second God or a bunch of different God-like characters or angels or whatever. In between him, there's one God. He didn't form a God after him. There was no God formed before him. If you have to form a God, then he isn't God. If you have to be made, then you're not God. This, this whole section, by the way, is really mocking the gods of the nations in the, in the ancient world because they would form a god, they would, they would make an idol, and then they would make sure that their god wouldn't fall down. Okay, are, are you okay? Don't. And then there's a great story of the god Dagon in the Old Testament. Remember what happened to Dagon? Dagon fell. Right, and the priest had to come in and pick up the pieces. Right, let's super glue. We got any gorilla glue over here? They, if you have to put your god back together, I think you might want to change religions. Now, in Isaiah forty four twenty four, thinking of this context, notice what the verse says: forty four twenty four. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you from the womb. I, the Lord, am maker of how many? Of all things. Stretching out the heavens by myself, spreading out the earth all alone. Now, if Jesus is the first and greatest creation of God, and he's a junior partner in creation, and this is what these groups say. They say, well, what happened was Jehovah made Jesus, and then he made all the creation through Jesus. So Jesus was made, and then he made the planets, and then he made everything else, and, and, and the angels or whatever. But, but Jesus was a junior partner in creation. He was there. Maybe even he created things, but it was by the power and authority of Jehovah. Wait a minute. The Bible just said in Isaiah 44, 24, the God who made all things in 44:24, middle of the verse, he stretched out the heavens by himself and he spread out the earth. What's your Bible say? By. All alone. This means clearly that Jehovah or Yahweh, which is the name that's used here, is the one who made everything. There wasn't some partnership between a, a created being after Yahweh uh, existed. He existed forever. And this means that Jesus, of course, is the eternal creator. There's no way around it. Back to Colossians. He has the name which is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One writer says, by studying the creation, one can gain a glimpse of the power, knowledge, and wisdom of the creator. The sheer size of the universe is staggering. The sun, for example, has a diameter of 864,000 miles, 100 times that of the earth. It could hold 1.3 million planets the size of earth inside of it. The star Betelgeuse, however, has a diameter of 100 million miles, which is larger than the Earth's orbit around the sun. It takes sunlight traveling at 186,000 miles per second, about eight and a half minutes to reach Earth. Yet that same light would take more than four years to reach the nearest star. Alpha, Alpha Centauri, some 24 trillion miles from Earth, the galaxy to which our sun belongs, the Milky Way, contains hundreds of billions of stars. And astronomers estimate that there are millions or even billions of galaxies. What they can see leads them to estimate the number of stars in the universe at an incredible number. I think they say billions upon billions. 
Uh, th that is roughly the number of all grains of the sand on all the world's beaches. Just think about the implications of this. Christ, the one who came to save us and die for us, made everything. And he holds everything together. This is where the passage is leading now, Colossians 1. And look with me at verse 17. Colossians 1, verse 17. He made everything, and it says this, and he is before all things. That's a good way to define the word firstborn or prototokos or takas. He is before all things, and in him, what's your Bible say? All things hold together. Not only did he make everything, he's holding it all together. My understanding of what physicists say and astronomers and so forth about um, the atom is they're not quite sure why it's held together. They're not sure what power is holding it together because it should just fly apart, but it doesn't. Jesus Christ made the universe and he is holding it all together. I heard an atheist say that, you know, he was examining the evidence for uh, Darwinian evolution and he was, he was really troubled because the evidence seems to be wanting, very much wanting. He said, so the two possibilities of the origin of the universe kind of frighten him. He said the first possibility that he's embraced is that there's a, this incredible universe with this incredible balance and the earth is just the right distance from the sun and all these things are working just in this intricate precision and nobody's steering. He said that's pretty frightening. Can you imagine? If, if the intricate uh, design of this universe is what it is and we, we know from science it is and nobody is steering the ship, it is a, here's what Darwinian evolution teaches, it is a product of accidental, mindless chance. It was an accident. Something exploded. We don't know where that came from. And there's all this order and design, but nobody's steering the ship. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to sleep at good, as good at night if that's in, indeed the case. Now, this evolutionist went on to say, the other possibility is there is a creator God staring everything. He said, both possibilities frightened me because he didn't know the creator. See, this is the implication of what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying that Jesus not only made everything, he holds it all together. Can you imagine when he was on the cross with this knowledge? He could have just said, they're not worth it. Let's start over. Well, I'll just make a new universe. I'll just make new planets. But he didn't do that because he so loved you and he so loved me. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the glue of the universe. The Greek word hold together is sunisteo. It means all things cohere in Christ. He, up, he upholds all things, Hebrews 1.3, by the word of his power. He is powerful. He is mighty. And he is something else, verse 18. He is also the head, verse 18, of the body, the church. He is our head. He is the beginning, that's the Greek word arche, the firstborn, here's that word again, and some believe that the firstborn from verse 15 ties into verse 18, the firstborn from the dead, so that he, might, he himself might come to have first place in everything. See the word head there? It can mean the ruler or the source. Here I think it means both. He is the source of the church and the ruler of the church. He's the head of the body. Your body listens to your head, hopefully. 
right? Your body never really argues with your head. When your head says to your body, move, you walk, right? Your foot never... You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first, what are you wrestling with in your life? In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness. It's no secret the Christian life is difficult, but you can take comfort in knowing you are not alone. In Pastor Michael Lance's book, Suit Up, he shows you a revealing look at God's armor and how the Lord will equip you to face the world. You'll learn about the nature of the battle, who the real enemy is, and God's provision to be victorious. Learn about how each piece equips you for spiritual battle when you get your copy of Suit Up today on walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. See the word head there? It can mean the ruler or the source. Here I think it means both. He is the source of the church and the ruler of the church. He's the head of the body. Your body listens to your head, hopefully. (laughs) Right? Your body never really argues with your head. When your head says to your body, move, you walk, right? Your foot never says, I don't want to do it anymore. Sick of listening to you. Now, there are some things that our bodies may not be able to do because of maybe there's something not working correctly. Or there may be some things that we believe we can do in our head that physically we can no longer do. Can I get a witness? Right? I know I can jump off that. And then you land and you remember how bad your knees are. But you still listen to your head. Here's the deal. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the authority and the source of the church. And he's the firstborn from the dead. And here's what this means. He's the preeminent one, the ranking one of the the ones who have risen from the dead. And because he lives, the rest of creation is going to follow him. Here's what I mean. Believers are going to experience a resurrection And the physical universe is going to get a makeover. And Romans 8 says that the universe, given personality in this passage, is waiting, longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That means the physical universe knows when you get resurrected, it's going to get its makeover too. It's just waiting. Come on, Lord. Let's do it. I want some new leaves. I want to sparkle a little bit brighter in the sky. This is what's going on. And Jesus is the beginning. He is the beginning, the firstborn. Now, in Revelation 3.14, this is another text that the Jehovah's Witnesses like to focus on. And and let's go over there for a second. Revelation 3. We're winding down, but just a few more. Revelation 3, look at verse 14 with me. If you're having difficulty uh, locating the book of Revelation, it's the last book of your Bible. It says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the amen, Revelation 3, 14, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. Now, our Jehovah's Witness friends look at this passage and they say, you see, it says that Jesus is the beginning, notice, three fourteen of the creation of God. If you've ever studied the book of Revelation, you'll, know, you'll note that many times it says he is the beginning and the end. The Greek words are the Alpha and the Omega, right? If we were to call God the Alpha, and he is called that, the beginning, we wouldn't believe that he had a beginning, would we? 
When we call God the Alpha and the Omega, what are we saying? He is the beginning and the end. So when we're calling him the Alpha, or in Hebrew, the Aleph, what we're saying is he, he's the beginner. Revelation 3.14 is not a passage that teaches that Jesus had a beginning. It is a passage teaching that he is the beginner. Just like Colossians 1, where it is arguing that actually Jesus is the creator. Important point, we'll do verse 19 and we'll close. Go back to Colossians 1. You cannot impose 21st century Western definitions on a book that was written 2,000 years ago. When people say, but firstborn always means firstborn. It means the first one born. No, not when you are studying a text that was written almost 2,000 years ago. You need to understand the word and the meaning in its context. Everybody with me? So there are certain words that to us mean something, but you have to study the word and the history to understand it. Now, this is not that difficult. You can do this with any Bible program, but you go back and you take a look at the original word. What does the word mean? What does firstborn mean? What does the beginning mean? It's R-K in Greek. It's A-R-C-H-E, if you're interested, beginning, R-K. And the word can mean source or beginner. It's where we get the word architect. What does an architect do? He designs everything or designs a building. So that's what the word is saying here about Jesus Christ. Now, in Colossians 1, we will finish in verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure, Colossians 1:19, for all the fullness to dwell in him. Now, the word for fullness there is pleroma, and it, it does mean fullness or completeness. Jesus, Jesus is not simply a sketch of God or a summary or a lifeless portrait of God. In him, there is nothing left out. This is from Barclay. He is the full revelation of God and nothing more is necessary. Look at Colossians 2, look at verse 9. The very next chapter says this. In him, in Christ, how much? All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form and keep reading and in him you have been made complete. Jesus is not an emanation from God. He is not the first and greatest creation of God. He is not some superior high-ranking angel. He is not a lesser God with a small g, a junior partner in creation. In him dwells the fullness of God in bodily form. There is nothing Missing. He is fully God and fully man. Now, you let, you and I, we have to decide to let the Bible decide this debate, right? So, when we look at passages like this, as much as it might hurt our head, but how can Jesus be fully God in a body? How does that work? I don't quite understand. Hey, I don't even know how my car starts in the morning, <laughs> but I believe it. <laughs> Here's the deal. If you could figure out everything about this God, can you figure out how he spoke things into existence? Can you break that down on a chalkboard? People often say, I don't understand the Trinity. I don't get it. Well, join the club. <laughs> I don't understand how God spoke the universe into existence, but the Bible tells me he did. And here we are. And he's holding it all together. And it was the Father's good pleasure, look at verse 19, that all the fullness dwell in Jesus. All the fullness of deity 
in bodily form. And we'll, we'll look ahead just for a second as we close. And through him, 20, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. It's the blood-stained cross of the true Christ who gave his life for us. He is. If you've been wondering what life is all about, if you've been burdened by loneliness and doubt, there's an answer. He is. He is God's visible manifestation. He is the source of all creation. He made every tribe, tongue, and nation. He's the author of my salvation. He is. He is God's revelation. He holds together every constellation. He purchased my redemption. He made me a new creation. He is. And because he is, it answers everything. Because he's alive, I'm alive. He is. So when you're going through moments of doubt and struggling with questions about who Jesus is, and maybe you know, you've come into this place and you, and you wonder as a person, why do Christians always talk about Jesus? Because he is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. He is the source of creation. He made me in you, and he came to save us. Glorious, isn't it? The one who was born in Bethlehem is God Almighty. And we are so grateful that he came to save us. Father, as we are winding down here, we just want to take a few moments to just bask in the beauty of this theology. It's, uh, it's high theology. It's high, scholars would say, high Christology, the study of Christ. But it is amazing. It's amazing to understand that the one who died on the cross was the one who made everything. He made the tree that he died on. He made the people that nailed the, the nails into his hands and his feet. He made everything. And thank you that you hold it all together, Lord. And one day, you, you say, I'm gonna make new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. The Bible teaches that you're coming again. The second time you come, it'll have nothing to do with sin, but it'll have to do with redemption. It'll have to do with the redeeming of the planet, but it will have to do also with the judgment of sin. But you are not coming to die. You did that once for all, for all time. You're coming to save your people, to judge the unrighteous world, the rebellious world, and then to make new heavens and a new earth. You're gonna start again. And in Revelation, we see that there's gonna be even a Garden of Eden again, a, uh, a restored Eden in some sense because there's gonna be the tree of life again. It's gonna bear fruit and the nations will find healing and they will come to the king and they will bask in the glory of this one who made everything and came to save us. With your heart and head bowed, if you've not met this Jesus Christ, if you've not known who he truly is, if you've not bowed your knee to his majesty, if you've not realized who it was that came to save you, Today can be your day. He's here. He knows who you are. He knows your pain and your struggles. And if you would just simply open up your heart, he will save you. But you must make a decision. And it's something like this. And just don't let anything stop you from knowing this great God. Why would you live without knowing your creator and your redeemer? Lord Jesus, cry out to him. Lord Jesus, save me.
Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the creator and the redeemer. I believe you died on that cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. I put my full trust in you for my salvation. I repent of my sins and receive you as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you are here today and you need to rededicate your life. You've lost some of that majesty of the grandeur of Christ. You've let everyday life steal some of that away and maybe even a sinful decision that you've made. His arms are open. Just come back to him. Just come home. Father, thank you for this precious church. I just want to pray a prayer over the saints as well that their faith has been encouraged this morning that they'll go out this week proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with a new fervor, a new uh, certainty, and just a fresh touch from your Holy Spirit. We love you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, studying the book of Colossians, just like the rest of the Bible, is so exciting. And some of the most exciting messages for me are when we really plumb the depths of the person of Jesus Christ to see who he really is, to see his deity and his incredible majesty and love for us is amazing. I pray that you've been encouraged as I have in this great book of Colossians. And I pray that Jesus will come to have first place or preeminence in your life and in your daily walk and really in everything. Well, I want to encourage you to tune in next time to this teaching. We'll talk to you on Monday on this station. Until then, God bless you. Make sure you fellowship in your local church. We'll catch you next time on Walk in Truth. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.